0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 12 of Aussie Talks. It's been a bit of a gap between podcast episodes here, but we are back and we have got a very exciting episode here for you today. We're going to be speaking about the current state of golf with the Live Golf and PGA Tour, sort of the hypocrisy that the media is showing behind the Live Golf experience. We're going to be speaking about my experiences on Qantas and how they are an absolute joke at the moment. Uh, we're also going to be speaking about the AFL, a bit of House and Kilders, absolutely rubbish, and uh, also a bunch of other stuff. We've got the big call, we've got the 60-second rant, so it's been a while since uh, episodes have dropped for this, but uh, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and uh, enjoy episode 12 here of Aussie Talks. The 2011 Masters champion The first topic we're going to speak about today is the PGA golf vs live golf uh, sort of controversy or hypocrisy or whatever you want to call it uh, that's been going on in the recent couple of months. Now, for those of you who aren't aware of uh, the live golf, basically it's a breakaway tour that is backed by the Saudi Investment Fund, uh, which is a Saudi Arabian uh, linked with their government system over there and it's been backed by them and allows them to have millions of dollars in live golf Uh, and greg norman a former australian golfer is sort of the main person overseeing that and it's faced a lot of backlash from people in the pga to people in the media and uh looking back um at some of the stuff that have been said it's very hypocritical now i'm going to say this right now the saudis in this investment fund that they've put in linked back to their government it's linked back to a journalist who got killed Um, you know the human rights in Saudi Arabia isn't exactly uh, gold standard it's pretty pretty bad but the fact is Saudi money is in so many sports that if we actually listed them there'd be a lot of sports that are being boycotted or not watched as what people are calling for this live golf I've just got a few examples for you here Formula 1 Formula One is one of the most watched sports. In the recent Australian Grand Prix, four hundred and twenty thousand people went to the four days in uh, in at Albert Park. But they raced in Saudi Arabia. They race in Middle Eastern countries that the human rights are appalling. So we're we going to stop watching that. What about WWE? They go to Saudi Arabia. The the women's wrestlers had to like literally put on and they couldn't show their skin but they still go back there because of the money another example, boxing you know, top sport Anthony Joshua and Andrew Ruiz Jr had a heavyweight boxing match there just over two years ago another one, Newcastle United They're now backed by Saudi billionaires and have that much money they don't know what to deal with. So are we going to stop supporting that team in the Premier League? It's not even just sports. Uber. I'm pretty sure plenty of you listening to this have caught an Uber. The Saudi Public Investment Fund owns one-third of Uber. What about EA? The Saudi Public Investment Fund owns one-tenth of EA. So are we going to stop purchasing those products? Are we going to stop watching those sports because Saudi money's in it? Now, I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that Saudi money should be in sport. The fact is there is too much greed in sports and it's been happening a lot more recently. It's been more publicised that Saudi Arabia have been wanting to get their money into sports to boost their country up and improve its reputation around the world. Not by improving their human rights, but by trying to get more publicity in the media. A couple of things were said by some of the PGA um, commentators or whatever about this Breakaway tour. And I think one of them was just ridiculous, considering the fact that there is so much Saudi money in so many sports, and you can say this about so many different things. I'll play that clip for you right now. There are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9-11... Uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. Now, as you can see there, he's uh, the PGA. He's like the commissioner of the PGA has compared um, the 9-11 attacks to what these people have done by going and joining the Live Golf Tour. I think it's a little bit disproportionate. I'll be completely honest with you. And I know it's sort of publicly known that the Saudis did have some financial backing in that terrible attack. And obviously... That begs a question. Saudi money should not be in sport and we should not be taking this country's money, but we are. And that's a fact. You can have a separate argument on whether or not it should be allowed, but the fact is, it is. We're we going to stop watching F1 because the Saudis' same investment fund potentially backed the Al Qaeda terrorists. So we're going to stop watching Newcastle United in the Premier League. And the unfortunate thing with the media is that this has taken up absolutely every single bit of this open tournament that we've just had Cameron Smith just won the open overnight in a brilliant putting and just chipping display that you know put every Australian golf fan uh just made him very very proud and he gets to the press conference the second question they ask him is oh what's your future like are you going to go to live golf He just won the Open, mate, 150th at St. Andrews. That's like the most prestigious thing you can win. You will not be forgotten in the history of golf for winning that. You're not going to ask him about that. You're going to ask him, oh, what's your future and what do you think, feeling on Live Golf? So what if he joins it? Who cares? If you're far out, I'd take the money. With the money that they are getting, it is a big potential or it is a big prospect for them. Have a look at Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. These are the two big names who have left the tour. Phil Mickelson's in his early 50s his best golf is behind him he can set himself up for generational wealth for playing for a couple more seasons if he stayed in the pga yes he'd still get a fair bit of money but you don't get money if you make a cut in the pga so it is this live golf that is taking up every bit of golf talk at the moment um the hypocrisy of the media by not cracking it at newcastle united or you know f1 or boxing or boycotting uber or all this they're talking about boycotting live golf so just shows that uh the media get their narrative on their certain how they fixate it and just push it so once again saudi money probably shouldn't be in sport but that's not the argument here it's whether since it's in so many sports whether we should pick and choose and you can't do that you can't have it both ways the season's on the line This is really ugly. This is bordering on putrid from the Saints. It's the worst performance of the year for St Kilda. I can barely grasp what I'm seeing from the Saints' desperation life. It's a fraudulent game plan. And we're going to talk about their tackling and pressure numbers in a moment. They are mind-blowingly poor. From the Saints, this is sub-AFL standard. Now I want to talk about a uh, certain AFL team that I follow, and uh, just the disgraceful performance that got uh, showed up on Friday night against the Bulldogs. I did a segment quite a few episodes ago on this podcast speaking about whether I th- thought a team was a contender. I spoke about Carlton. I spoke about uh, St Kilda, and I said to, I said to s- about St Kilda at the time that they probably won big win away. And I thought that big win would have been against Geelong. Eight and three, going into the bye. I'm excited. I'm feeling far out. We could, you know, win a couple of finals this year the way we're playing. We just beat Geelong. You know, they've been the uh the benchmark of the competition for the last decade. You know, this is a good team. Since that bye, we are what what, one and five? Mm. We're currently sitting 10th and unlikely to make finals, um, although North beat Richmond, which keeps us in the hunt still, but we don't deserve to play finals football. The St Kilda Football Club is the most inconsistent team in the competition for the last five, six years. It is just unbelievable. The difference between our best and our worst is just despicable. And look, I only know a handful of St Kilda fans out there. So this may not mean too much for you, for all the fans out there that go for teams that have actually had success over their lifetime and uh, not been deprived of it. But the fact is this. I saw a stat before recording this segment. When St Kilda win, our pressure is in the top seven in the AFL. When we lose, we last. In a half, a whole half of football, an hour of football against the Bulldogs, they had 40 more disposals than us. So that you would sort of infer there then St Kilda would have more tackles because, you know, Bulldogs had the ball more. That's how they play. We had 11 tackles in a half of football. Jack Steele had five of them. 11 tackles in one... God damn half when your season is on the line it's an elimination final pretty much against the Bulldogs team which is a good side through their midfield but they haven't been good this season I still stand by my claim that they will not make finals but the fact is this St Kilda do not deserve to play finals football we play West Coast this week if we don't beat West Coast then the heads have got to roll players wise not the coach if I see any more people on Facebook going oh this is a Ratton's problem Ratten can't coach da, 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 da. throw the line up around and then when he does that you crack the shits at him I'm sorry was Ratton the bloke that didn't lay tackles on Friday night was he the bl- part of the team that had 11 tackles at halftime. Is he the bloke who can't kick for goal? I'll tell you what, we're literally the worst team at kicking for goal. We had one season in 2020, which is condensed. But if you look at stats, I don't have them in front of me. But if you look at the last 10 years, we have to be the worst goal-kicking team in the competition. It's cost us finals in 16, 17, probably 19, and we didn't kick straight against Richmond in the 2020 elimination final. But I just want to speak about how the fact that they are the most irritating club to support because we've got expectation. There's hope. There is. We well, were eight and three in the last twenty five years. There's only been one other team to start a record like that and not make finals. Essen were eight and one in 2012 and did not make finals. We started the season five and one, then lost a couple. Then got on a bit of a roll, 8-3 and three after that Geelong game. And since then, it has just been downhill for the St Kilda Football Club. And things need to change. There needs to be a bit of effort, a bit of fight from the boys. Jaron Geary retired during the week. So I thought, you know, I watched the video. It was quite an emotional video. In his retirement, I thought, Farah, if there's ever a chance for the boys to come out just ready to play, this is it. And we had 11 tackles in the first half. We gave up six goals in the first quarter, and we didn't kick one. And everyone blames the forwards. The midfielders got smashed. The way that the ball goes into the forward line is the worst in the competition. And you think for a team that started 8-3, and three, beat Geelong, beat Richmond, beat Freo, it'd be better than that, but it's not. So I just wanted to get my thoughts across on the St Kilda Football Club, how we have just not lived up to any expectations We've got a big game against West Coast this week, which if we win would probably put us back in the eight, which is just ridiculous because we don't deserve to be playing in September. We deserve to be on holiday because that's how rubbish we've been. And that was a disgraceful performance against the Bulldogs on a Friday night. We don't deserve the primetime games. And lately we haven't deserved the price of admission from the fans. So St Kilda, get your shit together, please. Now, I want to talk about an experience I had uh, over the school holidays when I was flying up to Darwin. Now, we flew Qantas, and uh, let's just say my experience has left a lot to be desired. Now, this is the only credit I'll give Qantas. At least they weren't Jetstar and they were cancelling all their flights. At least we actually got there and got back, which is pretty good. But here's here's a fact. So we're in the back row, you know, the, the cheap seats, and... I sit down in the middle seat on the, the left-hand side and I get a tap on the shoulder by the uh, flight flight attendant and they tell me there's two unaccompanied minors who are on this flight and they sit in the back row and they've got a rule regardless of my age or regardless of you know my dad's age or any male around there that the unaccompanied minor cannot have a male sitting on either side of them. So me, that 17-year-old, cannot sit on either side of this unaccompanied minor. Now, I was forced to move and my younger sister and mum had to sit on either side of these unaccompanied minors. Now, for anyone listening there, I think that just completely sounds like the most sexist thing I've ever seen. You know, I heard it and I was like, what? Talk about like the assumption that I'm some weirdo who's, you know, gonna bloody being uncomfortable or uncomfortable to these unaccompanied minors i'm a 17 year old kid what the hell am i gonna do i'm tired i hate plane flights anyway the fact that like, there's an assumption that i'm gonna cause a risk or cause a harm to these unaccompanied minors on a flight like what the hell like uh, this is the most stupid policy i've ever seen in my life this is actually i felt you know like what the hell is this So I had to move, and you know, Qantas flights, turbulence, all the da 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 But the whole time I'm thinking, whoever came up with this policy, this is the most risk aversion stuff ever, you know? What are the chances that a 17-year-old is going to do something to an unaccompanied minor? Honestly, Qantas, what is this? This is the most sexist policy you have. You need to get your shit together because this is, you know, this is something I experienced personally and I can guarantee there's more. There's an automatic assumption because I'm a male, despite being 17, this policy says it, that this, because I'm a male, I cannot, the unaccompanied minor cannot sit next to me. What What does this aim to prevent? It is the most sexist policy I've ever heard in flight, whatever you want to call it. So I just wanted to get that out there because I've been thinking of that the last couple of weeks since I got back. And I just think it is the most bloody stupid policy an airline can have. How about you focus on the bags coming out at the right time before you start focusing on the 0.00001% that a 17-year-old male could be some bloody weirdo to an unaccompanied minor. All right, it is now time for the fan-favorite segment, Jordan's Big Call. Fate of the universe on the line or the Martians have the death beam pointed at Earth. You better hit it. I want Iguadala. <gasps> now, before I make another big call, I'd like to go back and uh, just notice how my track record on this is getting a lot better in the last episode of this podcast which was quite a while ago i said the golden state warriors would win in six with steph Curry with steph curry winning finals mvp while averaging 30 points per game now i've got all three of that big call right there so that ups my record there I still stand by Western Bulldog not making a final despite my little segment there on St Kilda. So I'm assuming Richmond will somehow make finals on that. West Coast finishing bottom four look absolutely supreme and uh, still waiting to see obviously how the premiership will turn out in the AFL and also how Kyrie Irving will or will will not be at the Nets next season. But the big call for this week relates to tennis, and it relates to an Australian tennis player, Nick Kyrgios, who played in Wimbledon uh, just over a week ago against Djokovic, and Djokovic put on a brilliant comeback performance after losing the first set. My big call is that Nick Kyrgios will never win a Grand Slam. Now, Nick Kyrgios, love him or loathe him, he does bring entertainment to tennis. He was his biggest enemy in that Grand Slam final. And I think the pressure was too much for him. I believe that was his best opportunity that he will get to win a Grand Slam. And I hope I'm proven wrong because it has been a long time since we've had a successful male tennis player in Australia. And since Ash Barty retired, we don't really have a lot of tennis hope uh, to win Grand Slams. But I cannot see Curios in the fact that he can't handle the pressure. He turns on his coach's box. He... he, uh, Gave Prince George in the Royal Box some new words to ask his, uh, his mum and dad what they mean. Nick Kyrgios will never win a Grand Slam because he can't handle the pressure. And uh, that's Jordan's big call for this week. Now, it wouldn't be a Aussie Talks podcast without a little bit of talk about the state of Victoria. Now, as we're going through at the moment, we are smack bang in the middle of winter and COVID cases are rising. We are at a point where it's almost as high as the January Omicron numbers. But you know the change in tune to how dictator Dan is saying uh, his sort of terminology around COVID at the moment. Because f- You know, go back go back 12 months, go back 24 months. Uh, this is what he was saying about the health advice, the real crucial health advice that was going to save lives and flatten the curve. This is, you know, had to listen to it. This is what he was saying. Uh, but, yeah, the answer is we looked at all of that and more, and these are the, these are the decisions that we've made based on health advice because we believe it's got the maximum chance of working in that five-day window. Now if you compare that to what is being said now by the health minister, by the media, by Dan himself, there's quite a bit of difference in that. It's almost like there's something that's coming up in the next few months that if he was to put restrictions back in would lose him something. I can't quite put my tongue in it. I'll wait, it's the election. So this is what's being said now about restrictions and everything. The Victorian government also recommending mask adherence, however rejecting a recommendation from the chief health officer to mandate masks in school and retail settings. I'm also obliged to consult with industry and community leaders and with my colleagues. We need to empower Victorians to make their own decisions. Now, I 100% agree that it should be up to your individual choice whether you wear a mask, whether you get the vaccine, whether you take other measures to not get this virus it is an individual thing and it should have been like that from the start but it's just so interesting what an election can do we've got an election coming up here in just over four months in victoria and unfortunately i still somehow think that dan is going to win although i don't trust the polls he's ahead in everything and the liberal opposition is completely and utterly useless and no one actually knows members of the liberal party in victoria but just changed so much. It's almost like it's not about health, and it hasn't been about health from the start. It's all about getting political points. It's just like in WA just before their election, you know, he got rid of some of the measures. Well, you know, he's a chancellor over there in WA, so I have to be careful about what I'm saying here, otherwise this podcast could get taken down. But it's just changed, you know, quite a bit. So I ask you, Dan Andrews, is it about the science? You know, is it about what the elected Bureaucrats are saying about the health or is it about your political gain? I agree with your decision not to mandate masks and all that rubbish but you know if you do it'll lose you the election and that's why you're doing it and that's why you've held on to emergency powers just for a little bit just because if things go a little bit bad you can go hang on a minute I can still maintain that power so although he may win in November we will not see the last of this Is it science or is it political? Part of Dan Andrews, I can almost guarantee you in 2023, come winter, there will be a lot more restrictions than we're having now because the election will be done. So I just wanted to say that. So is it about the science or is it about your political position and your position in the polls? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. But the last segment of this podcast is the well-known 60-second rant. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Now, this rant here is something that probably is a bit dated and probably has to do with the fact I haven't been able to do or haven't done a podcast, rather, in a couple of weeks. A few weeks ago, Adam Bant, the crazy leader of the Greens, refused to stand in front of the Australian flag, and he said this. You chose not to stand in front of the Australian flag. Why is that? Well, I think we've got a lot of work to do in this country to tell the truth. Uh, We've got a lot of work to do to overcome the um, uh, racism and dispossession that many First Nations and uh, Torres Strait Islander and Indigenous people face. Now we are going to have sixty seconds on the clock. This. Was The statement made by Adam Bandt, and I'm going to cut him down to size in just a short 60 seconds. So the clock is here. three, two, one. we are underway. Adam Bandt, you are an elected member of the Australian Parliament. Do you hear that keyword? Australian. And what's the Australian flag? It's the one that you don't want to stand in front of. It's got the Southern Cross. It's got the Union Jack. It's got the beautiful, beautiful blue background on it and you don't want to stand in front of it if you think that the australian flag you shouldn't stand in front of it and you think aboriginal uh, and first nations people should you know have a greater position give up your spot i'm pretty sure that 98 percent 99 percent of australia will be pleased if you were to give up your spot i'll oh, probably not 98 percent because we have gone a bit crazy in the last few years but how about you give up your seat you go. You give it to a First Nations person. You're the one saying that they need it more. You're the one saying that uh, this Australian flag doesn't represent them. How about you give up your spot? You've been elected to the Australian Parliament by the Australian people. How about you stop with these cheap political whatever you want to call it and just do your job and actually come up with proper policy and not socialist rubbish. So that's your 60 seconds. The Adam Baird's just a nut job. He is just a flog and that's basically all that can be said about that just despicable human being all right that is the end of episode 12 of aussie talks i hope you all enjoyed and this is my first episode using my mic i hope you can notice a bit of the difference and my breathing isn't so loud but i get pretty passionate with this podcast and that's why i sometimes seem to be out of breath We covered a lot of stuff today in this podcast, everything from golf to the AFL to politics in Victoria to the 60-second rant to tennis, and I hope you all enjoyed. Sorry, it has been quite a few weeks between podcasts. I'm going to work on trying to get my consistency better with that. I'm also going to be having a guest on for the next episode, so look out for that. So once again, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Cheers we mm-hmm.